0: I know them well and love them well. Mark tried to make me cry a little bit before I preached, and so shame on you, Mark, for that. Uh, But it is a joy. I love Redeemer uh, Presbyterian Church. Um, I know many faces as I look out. Some of you I don't know. Uh, This church called me. Nine years ago to, to be an assistant pastor here, but for the purpose of uh, helping with a church plant up to the north in Anna, and so uh, I had the opportunity over the last nine years to be here and share about Grace and Peace and to preach, And but it's been a few years now, and so it's a joy to be among you, to bring you uh, greetings from Grace and Peace Presbyterian Church in Anna, one of uh, your daughter church plants, isn't it? Exciting to be able to say that in the plural church plants and pray that the Lord continues to bless Redeemer in sending out new churches and that we as a church, as a daughter, can even maybe give you guys some grandchildren uh, in the future. Uh, so, so adding to the multiplication of the churches that the Lord is is beginning. And so it is a joy to be among you. Uh, Jordan and I, as we talked about uh, doing the pulpit swap, we decided maybe it would be most encouraging for us to continue in the series that each of us was doing. So I am picking up in the book of Exodus where you guys left off. Last week at Exodus chapter 6, verse 10. I will note, as I, as I did in the earlier service, and have you note that Jordan did leave me with a genealogy in the text today that is full of uh, names that are hard for this Georgia boy's tongue to pronounce. Uh, and so forgive me and be sure and give Jordan a hard time for that. But. Uh, I do want to uh, read for us now Exodus chapter 6, verse 10 through Exodus chapter 7, verse 7. If you would, please stand with me out of love and respect for God's word as I read these verses for us. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh king of Egypt to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. These are the heads of their father's houses. The sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. These are the clans of Reuben. The sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, ah- Ohad, Jakin. Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. These are the clans of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi, according to their generations, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, the years of the life of Levi being 137 years. The sons of Gershon, Libni, and Shimei by their clans. The sons of Kohath, Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel, the years of the life of Kohath being 133 years. The sons of Merari, Mali, and Mushi, these are the clans of the Levites, according to their generations. Amram took as his wife Jochebed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses, the years of the life of Amram being 137 years. The sons of Izhar, Korah, Nepheg, and Zikri, the sons of Uziel, Mishael, Elzaphan, and Sithri, Aaron took as his wife Elisheba, the daughter of Amminadab, and the sister of Nishon, And she bore him Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, the sons of Korah, Asir, Elkanah, and Abiasaph. These are the clans of the Korahites. Eleazar, Aaron's son, took as his wife one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore him Phinehas. These are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites by their clans. These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts, It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses and this Aaron. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? The Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old, and Aaron 83 years old, when they spoke to Pharaoh. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Amen. Let me pray for us as we consider God's word together. Father in heaven, we do indeed praise you together this morning, for we know that you are the one true God, the creator of all things, the one who sits enthroned above the heavens and, and rules over all things. You, O oh God, we confess, have made us for yourself and for your glory. We also confess, O oh God, that we are sinners in need of your mercy and your grace. We praise you, O God, that you are gracious and loving and kind and merciful. We praise you, O God, that in your kindness and in your grace you have given us your word and that in it you have revealed us what is true about you and you've also revealed to us things that are true about us and our sin and your great redemption for us in Jesus Christ, your great love and mercy and grace to us in Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray, I plead with you as we consider these words together that you would be among us. Oh, Spirit, would you be at work as we think about your word today? Would you be crushing up hearts of stone and giving us Hearts of flesh. Would you open our eyes to see your truth? Open our ears to hear your grace, O oh God. Open our hearts that we might respond in repentance and faith and love and worship of you. We ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as we come to this passage, as we get to this point in the story, of Exodus, what do we see about Moses here, particularly at where we began in, in verses uh, ten through thirteen, and then right there at the end of verse six, it seems that Moses is very discouraged seems that Moses is very disheartened seems that Moses is even doubting uh, what it is that God is doing or what his role might be in what God is doing. And as I have been studying this, another uh, another story from Scripture has been coming into my mind. It's a story from the life of Elijah. And, and I bet you know of the prophet Elijah, and I bet you remember maybe one of uh, the most famous stories in his life when at Mount Carmel uh, he, he called out the prophets of Baal. And he, he even seems to kind of call them to what we might call a prophet's duel, right? He he says, uh, let's both build altars and let's put uh, bulls on those altars and you cry out to your God and I'll cry out to my God and let's see which God uh, will, will show up and will, will burn up the offerings. And so he says, you guys go first. And so the, the, the prophets of Baal, they, they build their altar, they put their ox on it, and they begin to cry out to their god, Baal, uh, Oh, God, Baal, do something. Uh, come and show up. And they go through their, their normal acts of worship. And, of course, around midday, uh, Elijah even begins to mock them, doesn't he? Maybe you should cry out louder. I don't think he can hear you. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's away on a journey. Maybe he's uh, busy relieving himself. Yell louder. Maybe he will hear you. But of course, there's no answer from the god Baal, right? And eventually, he says, it's my turn, but let's make it a fair fight. And so he says, why don't you pour water on my bull and on my altar? And he says, don't just do it once. Let's do it three times. And so they wet down uh, the bull and and the altar, and it's so much water that it fills a trench that's built around the altar. And he cries out to the Lord, the one true God, and, and God shows up, doesn't he? And fire comes from heaven, and it burns up the bull, and it burns up the wood, and it burns up the dust, and it burns up the water, licks it up. Scripture says, mountaintop experience for the prophet Elijah, right? Can you imagine? Can you imagine being present for that, for one thing, you imagine being the vessel that called out to the Lord for fire to come down? And the Lord showed up in that way. But then what happens later that day? Do you remember? Elijah is on the run for his life because Queen Jezebel didn't like what he did to the prophets of Baal. And so the king sends his men. And Elijah's on the run and he goes out to the wilderness and he, he gets under this broom tree and he says, God, I'm done. Take my life. I'm no better Than my father's. And then the Lord feeds him graciously, brings him to Mount Horeb, and meets with him. The Lord says, Elijah, what are you doing here? What's happening? Elijah again says, I'm done. I've done all these wonderful things for you, God. I've been your prophet. Uh, This incredible thing happened on the mountain. And what happened? The king and queen didn't listen. The people didn't listen. They came after me. And I'm the only one left. Remember Elijah saying that I'm the only one left of all of your, of your people that would be, of all the prophets and all of the people that would be following you. And I think we see Moses in a similar place in our text today. Uh, it's not as, uh, he doesn't elaborate as much maybe as, as the story of Elijah. And that's why I told you that story. I think we see Moses in a similar place. He's discouraged. Uh, he's trying to do what God would have him to do, but it's not working out. It doesn't seem to be working out uh, to the sight of Moses, and so he is discouraged. And I wonder, friends, as we consider this passage today, uh, if any of you find yourself discouraged this morning, uh, or if you've had discouragements in your life, I wonder if you find yourself uh, exhausted, if you find yourself ready to be done uh, maybe you're here today and you've been fighting the good fight for decades, following the Lord, trying to do what's right, but things just aren't going the way that you expected, and you're tired, and you're worn out, and you're discouraged. Maybe you're here today and it's your own sin that has you discouraged. Uh, you, you find yourself falling back into whatever that same sin is that you, that you keep going into, and you say, Lord, I'm a failure, I am no good, Can't we be done with this? Maybe you've been sharing your faith with a friend or a loved one for weeks or months or even years. And they just won't listen and they're just not hearing. And you say, Lord, I just don't get it. Why not? Can't I be done? Maybe you're wrestling with your children. Maybe they've walked away from the faith. And you're trying to be faithful and you did the right thing as they were growing up and yet they've walked away. And you're tired and you're discouraged and you're beginning to doubt that God might keep his covenant promises even for your children. Maybe it's your marriage. You took covenant vows. Try to do what's right. But you just can't come back together. Uh, you just can't get to that place of, of loving one another Well. Uh, you just can't get um, uh, on, the, on the same page. Whatever it may be for you this morning, if you have felt that discouragement, if you have felt that deflation, if you had felt that desire to, to be done, you can, you can relate to where I think Moses is in this passage. Uh, and as we consider how the Lord uh, helps Moses responds to Moses in his discouragement, Uh, I think it will be helpful to you. It will be helpful to us in our own struggles. And so I want us to see three very simple things in this text uh, that we see in the story. First, we do see Moses doubting the Lord. But then secondly, we see the Lord speak to him. And thirdly, we see that Moses and Aaron will respond to what the Lord says. And so first of all, we find here that in his discouragement, Moses is doubting. But why is Moses discouraged in this moment? We need to remember what is going on this moment that has him saying, How is it ever going to work, Lord? Remember, just just go back a little bit to uh, to chapter four, and, and what happened when Moses first came to the Moses and Aaron first came to the people of Israel, and they said, "The Lord has heard your cries; He has seen your bondage; He's going to deliver you." And they did the signs that the Lord gave them. And what happened? The people they believed and they worshipped, didn't they? And so it's on the wave, as it were, of their believing, of their worshiping, of their cheering Moses and Aaron on that they go in before Pharaoh the first time. Let the people go. But what's Pharaoh's response? I know you guys have been looking at this. Pharaoh says, who is Yahweh? Never heard of him. Why would I listen to him? And what you're telling me is that you have free time. And so I'm going to make your work harder. You're idle and you just want to break. And so instead, I'm going to take away your straw. I'm going to make life harder for you. And then what does that get for Moses and Aaron? They're rejected by the people of Israel, aren't they? May the Lord look on you and judge you, for you have made us stink before Pharaoh. And as Mark was pointing out last week, then Moses says, Lord, what are you doing? I don't understand. What's happening here? And then we get this beautiful passage in in chapter 6, verses 2 through 8, with some of the most wonderful promises in all of Scripture. I I like to refer to them as God's I am's and I will's, right? I am Yahweh, the God of my people. I am God Almighty, all-powerful. I hear my people. I am keeping my covenant promises. And then the seven I wills. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. I will act. I will do what. I want to do, and so how can Moses, from that mountaintop experience of God uh, speaking these incredible promises to him, get to the point of saying, no, Lord, I don't understand how it can happen. Well, verse 9, right? Um, I agree with Mark, One one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit. And harsh slavery. The wind had been knocked out of them. And they couldn't even hear the promises of God. And we find Moses seemingly in the same place, don't we? Not able to hear the promises. He just heard them. But not wanting to act on them. The people won't even listen to me, Lord. It's almost as though Moses says, okay, we tried that, right? I went to Pharaoh and I said, let my people go. And then you said, you're going to do your big acts of judgment and deliver the people. Let's move on to that and let not have me go back and speak to Pharaoh. And what does he say? He says, I am a man of uncircumcised lips. Isn't that an interesting statement? Not the same statement that Moses makes earlier when he says, I don't speak well uncircumcised lips. What what does circumcision do? It sets one apart to the Lord for holy purposes, to belong to the Lord and to be his agent. And so what does Moses say? Well, God, can't you see the evidence? Obviously, my lips aren't circumcised. Obviously, my lips weren't actually set apart to this office. Obviously, I'm not the man for the job, but what's the problem? What's the problem with what Moses is doing here? He's misdirected his focus, hasn't he? Um, he's lost the proper focus upon the Lord, the, the, the God of I am and I will, and he's directed his, his focus onto himself, onto me, and he has said, I can't do this, as though he was the one that was meant to do it, as though his lips were meant to be effective in in bringing about the deliverance of God's people. As you've been reading, children, as you've been studying together the book of Exodus, uh, what have have you been learning is the main question of Exodus. What's, What's the primary question that Exodus is asking? Is it who is Moses? Is that the question that Dr. Stone has been saying is most important in the book of Exodus? Who is Moses? no, that's not the right question, is it? What's the right question? Who is the Lord? Who is Yahweh? Right, Moses is asking, who am I? When in reality, he should be asking, who is the Lord? And what has he said that he will do? Moses also maybe looking at himself, but also at his circumstances, looking at the things around him and saying, the people haven't listened, Lord. Doesn't that tell you that this is not going to work? The Lord, or Moses saying, look at what's going on around me. Surely that tells me that I'm not the man for this job. And friends, I wonder as you face discouragement in your life at times, if you find yourself deflated, if you find yourself beat down, if you find yourself exhausted, if you find yourself not wanting to keep going in whatever the battle might be for the sake of Christ, if you haven't misdirected your focus, whenever you haven't begun to say, who am I to accomplish this, rather than saying, who is the Lord who will accomplished this in my life. I wonder if you haven't mistakenly begun to look at your circumstances and let them define what is true of you and what is true of what the Lord might or might not do in your life. And so if you're, if you're discouraged by your own failures, falling again into sin, and you say, God, look at me. I am a failure. I can't do this. Right? You're looking at yourself and you're looking at your own ability rather than looking at the Lord and what He might do. You're looking at uh, the people not listening to you that you might be sharing your faith with and saying, my lips aren't working. Well, that's not the point, for it is the Lord who must change hearts and who must change souls. Students, you find yourself alone in the Christian walk, whether it be at school or on your sports team or whatever club that you are in, you think, Lord, I just can't keep going. The point is not that you can, but what can the Lord do through you? Interestingly, I think, kind of think this is why Moses puts this genealogy here. Isn't it a strange place for a genealogy? As I was reading that, it seems strange to you that that Moses begins to tell the story. And he he says, I can't go, Lord, because my my lips are uncircumcised. And the Lord gave Moses and Aaron a charge. And we want to hear the charge, don't we? Uh, uh, Tell us what he said that made Moses go. But he stops as Moses, writing this for us later, stops. And he puts this genealogy in here. Why? Why? Well, maybe to say where he came from. Sure, it does. That's, that's what it does. It tells us who Moses is, who Aaron is. But I can't help but think that there is more to this. Um, note that as he begins to talk about the, the twelve tribes of Israel, the twelve sons of Jacob that are the heads of the tribes of Israel, he talks about the first three, Reuben and Simeon and Levi. And sure, maybe that's just because those are the three oldest sons. And once you get to Levi, you get to Moses and Aaron, and that all we need, but I can't help but think that maybe there's more to this. When's the last time we heard anything kind of, of consequence about Reuben and Simeon and Levi? We heard at the beginning of Exodus that they came down to Egypt. But before that, in Genesis chapter 49, you may remember that Jacob has come down to Egypt and he's on his deathbed and he speaks words over his sons. And listen to what he says. If you have your Bible, you could flip back a few pages to Genesis 49, beginning in verse, four, verse 2, which says this, assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob, listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the firstfruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. It sounds really good so far, doesn't it? But then verse 4, unstable as water. You shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. We don't need to go into details of that. But we learned earlier in Genesis that Reuben had sought to usurp his father's position as the head of the family. He had sought to take Jacob's place. And that's why our translators put an exclamation point there. He went up to my couch. Can you believe he did this? Reuben A usurper, a troublemaker. Who are Simeon and Levi? Simeon and Levi are brothers. Verse 5. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let let my soul come not into their counsel. O my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men. And in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce. And their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. This is the heritage Of Moses and Aaron who will go and speak to Pharaoh. What's he saying there? He's saying, indeed, who am I? Indeed, maybe that is, in fact, the right question. Who am I that the Lord would send me before Pharaoh? Who am I that I would be the one that would be the vessel of the Lord uh, to to speak and to be used in this process of the people being delivered? I am uh, the son, as it were, of the troublemaker Levi. In fact, I'm the, I'm the, the descendant of his second son, not even his first son. Moses says, I am the second son. Aaron is the older son. Who am I? I am nobody. I am unworthy on my own. And friends, as we think about it, isn't that exactly where we all need to get in this life? That we might all say, who am I, not in the sense of of how could I accomplish this, but who am I that God would choose me? Who am I that God would deliver me? Who am I that God would use me for his purposes in the world? I am an unworthy vessel. I have nothing in myself that would make me worthy of the Lord except for his gracious and loving choosing of me and giving his son for the forgiveness of my sins, right? Moses saying here, who am I? And and I really think looking back on it as as he's giving us this this account of what happened, right? Because the genealogy didn't happen in like real history there. But as Moses goes back, he says, I should have known, doesn't he? I should have remembered. It was never about me. It was never about my pedigree. It was never about who I am and what I can do. It was always about what the one true God, the Lord, can and will do in his own good purposes. And so we find Moses here in his discouragement doubting the Lord because he's shifted his focus in the wrong direction. Um, and yet, as he looks back on it, he remembers, well, yeah, who am I? But then we find the Lord speaking in response, don't we? Uh, in chapter 7, the Lord responded, responds, I'm sorry, to, to Moses here. Uh, and ultimately, what does he say? He says, go. All right, that's the bottom line. <laughs> Uh, he doesn't enter into the pity party that Moses is having. He doesn't enter into his, his his discouragement and his doubt. He says, go. I'm not saying that we shouldn't enter into discouragement and doubt. I'm saying we must not let it rule the way that we respond to circumstances. And so the Lord begins uh, and, and he says to him, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. Uh, what does God do in the response of Moses's discouragement and in, the, in, the, in response to Moses's doubting of his, his own place and whether God will accomplish his pro? his promises, um, God speaks the truth to Moses. God reminds Moses of what is true of him, doesn't he? He says, Moses, I have called you. I am sending you to Pharaoh. The people of Israel haven't called you. They haven't sent you to Pharaoh. Why does it matter what they think about what is happening here? He says, Moses, you haven't called yourself to this work. You haven't sent yourself to, Moses, to, to Pharaoh. And so why does it matter what you think about what is going on here? The truth is that I, the Lord, the one true God, have called you and am sending you to Pharaoh uh, to speak to him and to, to call my people out of their bondage. What else does the Lord say to, to Moses here, verse three. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts. The Lord reminds Moses that he in fact is in control of what is happening here, so much so that Pharaoh will not listen, right? How will Pharaoh listen to me? God says he won't, but do you know why? Not because of some problem with your lips, but because I am the Lord, and this is my purpose, and I am carrying it out, and he reminds Moses of what Moses had already been told uh, back in chapter four. You will go to Pharaoh and you will say to him, let my people go. And he won't listen so that I can judge him for taking my firstborn son. You remember that. Moses knows what's going to happen. He's forgotten what, has, what is going to happen. And isn't it astonishing here to see the patience of the Lord our great God. The patience of the Lord. With Moses in his discouragement and in his doubt. Uh speaking the truth, speaking it forcefully, speaking it boldly, of course, but patiently reminding him of things that he already knows. Moses, I've made you like God before Pharaoh. I already told you that. Pharaoh's not gonna listen. I already told you that. I am accomplishing my purposes. Right? And then he goes on there in verse four, where we left off. Uh, Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt. By great acts of judgment, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Again, I am accomplishing the I wills that I have already promised you just a little bit ago, Moses. I will carry out my purposes. I will deliver my people. I will bring them out through my mighty acts of judgment. I am God, and you are not. This is my show. It is not your show. You are simply my vessel. Go and do what I have commanded you. And so, beloved, as you find yourself discouraged As you find yourself uh, worn down again, what do you need? What do you need as you find yourself deflated and not wanting to continue? You do not need to be encouraged in that attitude, but you need to hear the truth. You need to hear what God says is true of you. And so if you are doubting because of your sin today or because of your failures, can this all really be true of me? Could God really have saved me? Look at me. Look at my failure. God says to you, you have not saved yourself. You have not called yourself, but I, the Lord, have called you in my grace out of darkness and into light. I have redeemed you by the blood of my Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I am at work in you to make you look more and more like Him, and I will accomplish my purposes, but I will do so in my own time and for my own glory, not for yours. Not that you might say, Look what my lips did, as it were, if we look at Moses, But that you might remember, I am of uncircumcised lips. I I cannot do this. I have called you. I have redeemed you. I will bring you to the fullness of the promises when Christ comes again and makes all things new. And you have a resurrected body and you live forever in communion with God without the veil of sin in between. Beloved, the Lord says to you, look at me. Look at what I have said. Look at what I will do. But here's the thing about the promises of God, isn't it? They require faith and not sight, which is incredibly difficult for us so often. Why in the world would Pharaoh let this huge workforce go that is doing the things that he wants them to do? By sight, it makes no sense. By faith, we know that the Lord is accomplishing his purposes. Why would the Lord use the 12 tribes of Israel? For they are nothing as Moses will remind them on the banks of the Jordan as they are about to head into the promised land. It's not because you're a great nation. It's not because you had done mighty things. It's not because of anything in you, but because God and his love chose you. It requires faith and not sight to see that the Lord could accomplish his purposes for his people. I see this most clearly in this passage by how the Lord refers to the people of Israel. Again, um, in verse 4, he says, Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt. When you hear that word a hosts, what do you think? I tend to think about armies and military. How we sing uh, in that great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, Lord Sabaoth, his name. That's the word here, Sabaoth, hosts. But you look at Israel and you say, hosts, army, warriors, these slaves that are beat down and exhausted and have no life left in them. These, these slaves that have no weapons or any training in, in fighting. These slaves who will go out and find themselves backed up against the Red Sea. And we don't know what to do. They're going to kill us. This is your army, Lord? These are your hosts, Lord? Are you joking? Are you kidding? No, he's not, is he? Why are they the hosts of the Lord? Why are they, as it were, mighty warriors? Not because of who they are, but because of what the Lord has called them and what the Lord is accomplishing in them and for them and through them. And beloved, I wonder if you find yourself similarly um, uh, trying to see What God has said about you. That that passage reminds me of, of what the Lord says, or what Peter says in 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10 about Christians. He's quoting from a later passage in Exodus, but he says this But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And if you're like me, you look at your life and you say, royal? Really? Nobody's listening to me. There's no paparazzi taking pictures of my life. Holy? Lord, did you hear what I said to my children this morning in my anger? Lord, did you see the corrupt thoughts of my heart this week? Holy? Really? Chosen people? Why? Why? Vessel to proclaim the excellencies of the majesty of God and his grace. Me? Absolutely. Are you kidding? Are you joking, Lord? No. Because God delights to use broken vessels that he might be glorified in making them his holy people, his royal people. Priesthood and making his glory known before all the nations that that the Egyptians might know. That's fascinating. What's God's purpose in this? Of course, he wants Israel to know that he is the Lord, but also that the Egyptians might know that I am the Lord, that they might not doubt that I am the Lord. I will act powerfully, I will do this thing with my hosts and bring them. Out. And so, beloved, what do you do? What do you do when you find yourself discouraged? What do you do when you find yourself beat down? Do you, do you wallow in that discouragement? Beloved, what do you do when, when a good friend or your spouse is, is, is discouraged and beat down? Do you help them to wallow in their discouragement and to, and to believe that God cannot do what he has said Because of what they see in themselves or what they see in their circumstances. No, that's not what you do, is it? You proclaim the truth. You proclaim the truth to yourself and you proclaim the truth to your loved one. And you say, God loves you. God has called you to himself. God has given his son so that you might know, right? How do you know that God loves you? How do you know that God is accomplishing good things in every circumstance of your life, even when you can't understand it? How do you know? Because he gave his only begotten son for you. He gave his son to die upon the cross in order that you might be forgiven, in order that you might be called his beloved son and his beloved daughter, in order that you might live in communion with him, the holy, holy, holy Lord God almighty, ruling over all things, that you might live with him forever in peace As he comes again, if the Lord, as Paul says in Romans 8, has done this, how will he not give us all things that we need? How will we not trust that he is working good in all of our circumstances? Well, the final thing that we see in our story here is that Moses and Aaron respond to the Lord's speaking of truth to them, reminding them of what is true because of who he is and what he is doing. Verse 6, Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. At this moment is a turning point in the life of Moses. And from here on out through the rest of Exodus, he is resolute. He goes and he does what the Lord commands. It's fascinating to see. There's no more of this waffling. There's no more of this doubting. He goes. And it only took him until he was 80 to get it. And so take hope, friends, if it's taking you a while to get there. For the Lord is at work. And the Lord is growing you. And the Lord is growing your faith, and he is, he is training you through these hard circumstances and through this discouragement that you might know that he is truly at work and that he will accomplish his purposes. And what is your job? What is your job, beloved, in all of this? It is to do just what he commands. It is to repent and believe and the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, a salvation you cannot accomplish for yourself, but that the Lord is pleased to accomplish for you and welcome you into. To walk in his ways, uh, to, to, to look to his law and to look to his word and to allow it to form and shape your, your life and, and to, to go and to do what he commands. And sometimes when we we hear that, we we want to think, man, that that sounds hard and that sounds oppressive and that sounds narrow and and, and aren't I just free to do whatever I want? But the reality is, friends, the reality is that true freedom is recognizing that you're nobody, that you are unworthy, that you're powerless in yourself. But that God in his love has called you to himself. He has washed you. He has justified you. He has sanctified you. He has set you free to walk in obedience to him in this life. And the truth of the matter, beloved, is that that's the most freeing thing in the world. It's not freeing in the sense that I get to do whatever I want. It's freeing in the sense that that I obey because of what God has done for me. And the outcome is not in my hands. For God is in control, and he calls you to be faithful. It's, it's said that, that D.L. Moody perhaps once said that Moses spent 40 years in Pharaoh's court thinking he was somebody, 40 years in the desert learning that he was nobody, and 40 years showing what God can do with somebody who found out he was a nobody. Beloved, as we come to the table of the Lord Jesus Christ in a few moments. I wonder if some of you in this room find yourself doubting whether the Lord has really saved you. Can can all of this really be true for me? Can it be true that my sins are forgiven that I have been set free that I have eternal life? Would you look at my uncircumcised lips? Would you look at the failures of my life? Would you look at my sin even this morning? And beloved, I would encourage you, strongly encourage you not to look at yourself in this moment, but to look to the Lord Jesus Christ and the powerful salvation that he has accomplished in your behalf, not for anything in you, but because he chose and willingly gave himself for the forgiveness of your sins. He And he alone makes you worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ, not anything in yourself. If you find yourself here today and and just discouraged about, about whatever it is you know God is calling you to do, to be faithful in, but it's just not working. Again, beloved, I point you to your great God, the God of the I am's and the I will's, the God who says, I am the Lord, I am working my purposes out for my glory in my time and for your good, and to believe and to do what he has called you to do, which is to keep walking one foot in front of the other in obedience to his commands. Let me pray and ask the Lord to help us to do this. Oh Lord our great God we do bless your name together this morning we we, we worship you, uh, Lord. We, we confess and praise you again as the one true God, the God who rules and reigns over all things. God, we also praise you that you are a God who abounds in mercy and grace, in steadfast love and faithfulness, that you, O oh Lord, in your grace have seen fit to call us rebels and enemies to yourself to give your Son for the forgiveness of our sins, that in Him we might have peace, that in Him we might have assurance, that in Him we might live, uh, that we might live as you created us, to live, O oh God, as your image bearers, as those who are in communion with you and walk throughout the rest of our lives in that way. O oh God, we praise you for your astonishing grace to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, for those in the room today who are doubting it, That you, Lord, would lift their chins from their own failures and up to the Lord Jesus Christ who has given himself for them and for the forgiveness of their sins. That they might be assured that they might hate that sin, turn away from it more and more and grow in holiness, but not look at their own holiness for their assurance of salvation, O God, to look at Christ Jesus. Lord, for those who are in this room facing difficult circumstances the darkness of life that weighs so heavily whether it be a broken marriage or whether it be disobedient or, or wayward children who have walked away from the faith whether it be illness uh, chronic illness pain and suffering whether it be a depression uh, whether it be anxiety whether it be the loss of a job and wondering how the bills are going to get paid Lord for those who have had the wind knocked out of them, Father. Open their ears to hear. Open their ears to hear your good promises, uh, your astonishing love in the Lord Jesus Christ to to be built up in that as a spark of light that could be fanned into flame and a return to joy for their lives no matter what the circumstances around them may or may not do. Oh, Father, you are so good. You are so kind. You are so steadfast. You are so faithful. God, we thank you. Help us to believe. Open our eyes to see these truths. Give us your grace, O God, that we might walk in your ways before a watching world and proclaim the excellencies of your glory and grace that called us out of darkness into light. Set us in your family that the world might know. O God, use us that the world might know. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Beloved, having heard God's word, we will now sing together in response. Hymn number 644, May the mind of Christ my Savior.